man, how's it going? What's up, Kyle? I'm doing great. <laughs> you didn't ask. <laughs> Why didn't you ask me how I was doing when I asked? I was getting to it. I was giggling in between uh, between phrases. How are you, Kyle? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. It showed that you cared. Mm-hmm. Uh, great week this week, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's been fantastic. It really has. Yeah. So tell me, uh, like, what were your, some some of your biggest wins? Uh, so my uh, the communication with my team has uh, has massively upgraded because a couple of the awesome dudes who uh, who are working together are taking ownership of their projects and uh, that's a huge win for me. We're moving faster, we're moving better, and um, it's not just uh, one or two minds leading the creative team. It's now everybody, which is great. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. I think um, like one of the things that I've noticed in your team recently over the past couple of weeks is just the level of commitment from everybody has really been going up and up. And I feel like they were always committed, but yep. it's just cool to see people, the longer they work for us, the more dedicated they get versus I think a lot of times it goes the opposite way, where the longer somebody works at a company, the more jaded they become, and the less interested they are in whatever projects they're working on. Yeah, that's definitely been also like an interesting shift we've been talking about um, in terms of going from contractor mentality to team mentality. And I think it's a, it's a really healthy shift, you know? Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I really like, um, I like what I'm seeing over there. I think it's really great. Yeah. Thanks man. It's been, it's been a good process so far. So yeah, it's a, uh, long may it continue. How about you? How's the, how's your week? Been going? What's, uh, it was what's going great. On? It was great. Super, uh, super busy week. Um, really like sales are picking up and as my time moves, um, a little bit away from servicing, not totally out of servicing. Like I always want to be part of our client's journey. That's always fun. But as I'm, as you know, we have Fetty, we have some other people on board who are helping servicing these clients. It's allowing me to focus a lot more of my energy on doing some sales stuff, some marketing stuff. And that stuff is, you know, is a lot of fun. And I like talking to people who are early in their journey. They're like just thinking about building a sales team. Like it's really exciting. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I can see it's a, I think it's actually important for you to be involved in some of the content stuff too. So I also know you enjoy it. Like it's yeah. a, it's, it's nice to have flexibility within the role so that you can do client stuff. You can do internal stuff. You totally. can sort of build the build as you serve. Yeah, man. It, I, I have to say like, I really enjoy every part of it and I wish that I could just be everywhere all the time. Cause I like the content part. I think that's one of the things just as an entrepreneur is really, really difficult because you learn how to do the things yourself first and then you start mm-hmm. bringing on people who could take over stuff and we've done a great job i'll pat myself on the back here hiring folks that have more of a skill set in the area that they're that they're managing than mm-hmm. i do and that's incredibly helpful because i can totally rely on trust so like you handling the marketing stuff fetty working with the clients like we have such a strong team here so that's nice but i do sometimes miss being having my hands everywhere. <laughs> I, mean, I, I get that. I mean, even I, I went through a similar shift just joining Voris. Like I was used to sort of uh, handling all my own stuff as a, right. as soloist. Um, but having the team there, I mean, that is a, a real learning curve. It's something that, you know, you're going to have to do it. Like, right. I mean, you know, theoretically that it's going to happen or you have to make it happen, but it doesn't, you don't, it doesn't really sink in until you start doing it. Yeah. You have to consistently, at least for me, I have to consistently catch myself and say, all right, Delegate, 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 <laughs> yeah. delegate if possible. Yeah, it's super important, super important. Something you learn as, as you go along in the journey, you know. Uh, but why don't we talk about what we're going to talk about today? <laughs> cool. Do you want to hit up uh, compensation plans and performance-based compensation? Yeah, we can talk about compensation plans. Maybe I want to talk about performance improvement plans a little mm-hmm. bit too because I think those are pretty common, especially like in the sales world. Um, also, I, I stumbled, I know you saw this too, on LinkedIn that, that – um, I think Casey Graham posted about pre-hired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did you catch this? It was a pretty awesome post. Yeah, why don't you tell everybody about it? It's actually a series of posts, but um, That's true. so Casey, um, <laughs> Casey basically identified that one of his one of his employees had uh, gone through a program from a company called Prehired, and their plan basically will ask you to either pay upfront a large sum of money or take a sort of a, a sort of I guess a finance plan where you can pay out um, or pay them 12% of your salary moving forward for three years. And I think that's the plan, right? Yeah, I think it might be. I think it might be two years. I think it's 48 months. Oh, wait a minute. No, I think it's more. I think it's either three or four years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's even crazier. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's or you hit 30 grand. Yep. So it's basically you're paying 30 grand to go through this program. That's going to teach you how to be an SDR. Correct. That's what the program does. And it's 30 grand. It's expensive. So there's other models out there from other companies that um, maybe get a little more technical with like Lambda School. Um, So 
I've seen the model before, but I hadn't seen it in the sales world before. Right. Well, I think the part that was that's most disturbing is the students accounts of the actual program they go through because it's not a very robust program. They're like, hey, we're going to teach you how to be in tech sales. Here's an online course and like a couple of sessions with some coaches and then you're off to the races. So students are like, well, I don't feel great about this, but they end up getting a job in tech because as you know, like the hiring market's so crazy right now. Mm -hmm. So if you're an SDR and you're looking for work, you're getting hired relatively quickly. So they get jobs, which I guess is cool, but then they're they're stuck paying 30 grand for a service that isn't really worth 30 grand. It's a little predatory. I think so. Um, I, I don't think it's the healthiest model out there in general, not just for this program, but um, but yeah, I can, I can see how it's, especially in, in sales, how it is... Uh, it's rough, man. I mean, yeah. if you're going to start off your career in a new field and get paid uh, decently, but have to give up suddenly, you know, twelve percent of your salary, yeah. you know, on top of everything else, um, and let's say you live in a city like uh, like San Francisco, yeah, yeah, you know, something out out in, in California, like we are here, or in other sort of higher cost of living places, um, it's it's tough. It's really tough, and. It was, you know, like it just, I was reading through the comments of the post, of course. And, you know, I, I've actually spoken to the people from pre-hire. They tried to partner with us pretty early on. And I didn't partner with them specifically because of this reason. Because I thought it was a little bit sharky. Um, and I get it. Like everybody has a business, right? You're trying to make a living, sure. But it just feels super, super strange to me to, it just feels like, why don't you just price your course what it should be priced like it, it, it almost just seems like oh you want a job you want to be able to make six figures we have a thirty thousand dollar program but don't worry you can pay it back to us over three years and you know they sue people who aren't paying which i guess like of course if you've uh, you've signed a document saying you're going to pay somebody but they're suing like 260 pre-hired alumni see th this is the part that's crazy to me is like if you if you're optimizing squeezing out every cent from somebody every cent not not to how do i put this uh, i think we have a larger problem too in the u.s when it comes to student loans and this sure. sort of approach to education where the the country that is by far the most expensive place to get an education yeah and we don't necessarily do it the most efficient way so look if there's a program out there that can really you know I'll pay thirty thousand dollars and then get a, sal a salary of like three hundred thousand dollars. I get that. That's a that's you know maybe that that works. But to be targeting people who are essentially in a very difficult spot in their career, they're doing something to yeah. to maybe pivot. They're vulnerable in a sense, right? They feel like they have to do something. They don't they don't have the guidance to. So a program like this shows up and they say, okay, well I guess it's it's pretty much my only option. Um, well, let me ask you this: What if um, what if the students from the program said it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. What if they're like, the program was super robust, it was amazing, they offered me a way to get into tech sales and set me up for success that I feel like if I had gone without them that I would have been not nearly as successful. Would you think differently about the model then? A little bit, definitely. Okay. That, that, it, the, if it was you know rave reviews everywhere, mm -hmm. yes. But I, I mean, think about the, the ROI that somebody really gets from this. Okay. If somebody who has no training, like I mean, this is you're going to become a doctor or something, where you, you really do need technical abilities right. to do something. I can see the argument for maybe a developer, you know, or you know, if you have to learn some specific uh, language, uh, code language to right. to sort of move forward. Maybe there's there's also an argument there. But mm -hmm. frankly, if you go in and nail an interview and show that you have the capacity to communicate well with people and you understand a product and you can go, you don't really need technical training up front to get that job in the first place. So I think that going from zero to a place of, hey, you might get a salary of $50,000, you might get a salary of, you know, something yeah. else. And then, but the cost of the thing is $30,000, you know, however you, you slice it, it's tough, man. It is, I, I mean, I have mixed emotions on this because I actually think the ROI is pretty high. The question is, do you have to go to a course to achieve that ROI? Um, like, for well, example- But like, how do you measure the ROI from the course though? Like the, the earning potential in sales is very high. Yeah. But is it because of because you took a course? That's the big question. Yeah, so here, here's, here's my thought. Like, let me try to articulate this well. It's still kind of a raw thought, but um, <clears throat> if having a stamp of approval from pre-hired actually means something, 
then I think there could be an argument there because I know a lot of companies that put, hey, you have to have a college degree to come work as an SDR here. So if this is an alternative way for people who don't have a college degrees and the materials are fantastic, then I can see an argument because the income earning potential of a sales career is really, really high. The problem I have with the model as it stands today is the feedback I've received from the course material is that it's very weak. They don't receive long-term coaching like they're promised and companies don't really care that you went through the pre-hired program, which it's tough, right? Like if those same if that same SDR just reached out to a whole bunch of companies, somebody probably would have hired them without the pre-hired training. That's the problem. That's, that's the, problem. the specific problem. And I think that if you look at courses like Udacity, CXL Institute, um, you know things like that, where literally in their sales copy they quote reviews that say, uh, but not reviews from students, reviews from from hiring people, hiring oh, companies, and yeah, hiring managers. Yeah. yeah. And where they say, you know, if you, whenever I see somebody show up with a, a, I remember this from CXL, whenever I see somebody show up from with a CXL Institute, uh, you know, stamp of approval or certification, I hire them on the spot with Udacity, your course instructors were from like, uh, in, for example, data science and a couple other places, uh, a couple other fields. They were instructors from Facebook, from Google and from other companies that you were, you were targeting specifically to go work for. So the 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 sale in that in that case were pretty pretty I don't know pretty specific and also I don't think they were really necessarily in any of those cases hiring somebody who's going from scratch in their career to level one instead mm-hmm. they were looking for people at mid career who were already earning something and then offering them the ability to upgrade their skill set to specialize to do something where it's much more specific it's like hey you're already earning $50,000 or whatever it is uh, 100,000 it, it depends on on where you you look but you're already earning something decent learn this skill set and you will then be considered a superstar specialist in your you know and maybe lead your department or something like that in in you know at the, at the brand that's a very different that's a very different gap to to bridge versus yeah. somebody starting out. Yeah, it's a good it's a, it's a good point. Um, you know, and I'm looking through their website now cuz I'm just kind of curious and even just the way they like they have this little calculator of like, oh, your income share agreement and it's just a little bit confusing. Like I so I pay so for example, if my monthly pre-tax earnings so let's say I'm an SDR probably making around 5,000 if I'm not hitting quota. So let's just say it's uh, 6,000. I'm making 6,000. So if I'm making 6,000, this is pre-tax, okay? That's a very important variable. Very important. So pre-tax, I I make $6,000 a month, let's say, okay? This is their calculator spitting these numbers out. It's like, hey, Kyle, this is going to be great for you, okay? You're making six grand. You're a tech salesperson. This is your dream. (laughs) And I say, yes, this is my dream. So I'm making $6,000. I'm paying pre-hired $750 a month. That's a significant amount, okay? And I'm paying that for 40 months. I mean, to me, like, I I, I think about my own bills. I think about, you know, where, where I would, I mean, the idea of taking on, you know, 750 bucks a month for something for that amount of time, I don't know. Uh, you know, it just, it, it feels uncomfortable to think about even. Yeah, well, you know? here's the sneaky part. This is the part, this is actually the bigger problem I have. You ready? Mm-hmm. Is This is calculated from pre-tax earnings. That's so shady. It's a huge difference. Right? Because if you're making $6,000 a month, um, I don't know. I don't know what the tax bracket is at that point, but I, I'm sure it's around 30% all in, you know, and you include like the little stuff that you have to pay mm-hmm. for the company. And I'm sure you're putting a little in your 401k. Like I'm trying to think take home. So if I multiply this by 30%, um, that means... So it's basically, um, what is that, five? So it's 4,200. So you're taking home $4,200 and you're spending 750. It's it's 18% of your take-home pay after taxes that you're paying to this um, to this company. That's a significant amount of money. I mean, think about how most people live. Think about how most people already struggle to really build up their savings properly, especially in that age range where I'm guessing people are in their, probably at this point in their mid to late twenties, um, 
you know, trying to make some sort of ch- a jump or even younger maybe. And it's, um, I don't know, you're, <laughs> you're compounding a problem for somebody. Well, what's crazy too, is they make money on the placement. Oh, really? I, I didn't know that they make deals with, um, I mean, it makes sense, but with, and maybe I'm sure, let me just look if they have like pre-hired for, I don't want to misquote because I, I met with them. They told me about their model and they, they did not tell me much about the, I like, they mentioned the income share agreement. I did my own research and I found it, but, um, yeah, and this pre, they're not talking about the, the membership for, or like what it work, looks for companies, but they also have a deal with um, with companies where we send you candidates, you place the candidate, you pay us. So they get the double dip. I mean, w- that part of it doesn't even bother me as much. Yeah, you know, like it, it's it just that makes sense to me that even right. maybe it's a, it's a good thing for the students too because there's a connection, there's a pipeline to jobs, and you know maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if that's true, don't quote me on that because I I feel like maybe I could be mixing something up, but I'm pretty sure they do. I mean, it's um. Yeah, to me, it's just this thing of like when you when you get locked into such a long period of payment for anything. I mean, I wouldn't want to. I mean, I, I don't know. Just the, the, that thought bugs me out so much. And like I said, if if any any product that I'm buying, uh, including education, is not very clear to me where the ROI is. And I mean, we, we we've talked about university education many times. Yeah. Like I think we had opposite experiences with university. Yeah. You know, and I stuck around for a long time. I, um, I I went out and did my master's. I did the whole deal. Yeah. And looking back at that, I mean, for again, for a technical field, if you were going into medicine, of if you're going into yeah. whatever, 100% get that kind of education. But in liberal arts and beyond, I would not play it that way I, if I went back. Yeah. I probably wouldn't put my kids through the same process. Yeah. Well, a good amount of people say the same thing for like their MBA. So they, mm. so they like you know you talk to a founder as their MBA. Some people say it was great. Some people say they feel like it was a big waste <laughs> waste mm-hmm. of time. Uh, education is a tricky one, and, and you're right. Like you know this about me. I'm very passionate about education. I think education is kind of it, it solves most problems that we have in this country is just more education. Uh, but also, I don't like higher education very much. I don't think it's a good use of money for most people. I think if you want a technical field, it makes a lot of sense. I would like to educate everybody a lot more, but I just don't feel like it's justified to spend a hundred grand, 200 grand getting a degree that you're not even going to use, especially if you get into sales, man, like the amount of people that who have advanced degrees that get into sales that I've hired and who've worked for me, it blows my mind. You went to six, seven years of school and now you're sitting as an SDR which great. I'm glad you found the path. You know, you, in a career in tech sales, you can make money like a doctor. You never have to cut anyone open, like sign me up. Right. But it's just, it blows my mind that you can spend that much money to get an education. Not even to mention, this might be a little tangential, tangential, but uh, not even to mention the fact that these colleges can't even tell you how much it costs to educate a student. They have no idea. And for those of you who aren't aware of this, colleges typically do research and educate students in the same facility. So whenever you have a blended cost like that, you can't really tell how much it costs you to do one thing versus the other, right? Like it's a very, very challenging equation. It's like, you know, cars, car dealerships run into this where they buy 40 cars all at once for one big lump sum. They don't have a price per car. I mean, they have, you know, they divide by how many cars they bought. That's a price per car, but some cars are valued a little bit higher, a little lower. Uh, They don't have like a real cost of what it, what it, what it is. Same thing in the education system. They don't know how much it actually costs to, to, educate a student. And if I knew that number, then I could make a, you know, a reasonable assessment over where, whether I feel like this school is worth me going to or not. And then you start going to the Ivy league schools where most of their income is made from their fund basically, yeah. right? Cause they have a dowry or whatever, all these rich people give them money, uh, which like good on dowry. you, but it's, it's tough. You know, I don't know. It's just a, it's a weird situation. I think it's um, but I want to go back to specifically, it's the technical, it's the technical training, right? that bit of it. So if you're going to go become a coder, if you're going to go become, maybe you want to go into medicine late or something, I don't yeah. know, but you know, where it is very, very much a technical thing, then by all means, like programs like this are great. I, I think I'd be behind them because I know that I really am able to attach an ROI because going back to the university thing, the reason that it's so wacky, I, don't, I really don't care about that, how much it costs them to educate me. Yeah. I care about guaranteeing me almost that you're going to put me in a, in a position where the income that I earn because of what I just 
got from you for four years yeah is really gonna be you know i can connect the, the two dots yeah and i think it's uh it's kind of silly because you can't <laughs> i mean it's that's true yeah that's the problem it's, you can't uh, connect the dots it's which is which is wacky you know i mean if if i were to look at it differently i think the older school model of you know taking you know maybe an apprenticeship or something where you you know in uh in germany they have this this model where um depending on high school depending on your grades and depending on your career path you could either get sent into a a um a professional field or whatever you call it like this more technical thing or you go into uh getting you know your your apprenticeship done so um my one of my buddy's dads he uh he worked for the un for a long time that's where i knew him from but the way that he had gone through life as an 18 year old was to go off take a year as a as a mechanic and he learned how to fix up cars and he ended up uh, doing it as part of his army service, I think, actually. Oh, That's another double double thing there, double training. But he held that he held that skill with him through life. And he went off and worked for the UN, had this big international career, had a very had a very successful life, but he kept this this technical thing in his back pocket. And he actually had a hobby where he would just, you know, fix up cars all the time. Um, and last time I saw him he had a Porsche in the in the uh, this like nineteen sixties Porsche that he was fixing up in his garage. And I mean I get that little bit of it because at worst, you have a hobby that you have something that you can play around with yep. that you can you can a skill that you can you can you can use. Yeah. Um, and then if times ever got tough, you could turn around and find a job locally yep. in your town. Um, whereas somebody who is overeducated in uh, in a lot of places, um, I think that without writing, you know, that's that's I mean, you know, I, my, my skill is not economics or in, in my case, public policy, which is what I was trained in. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's it's weird to think about like that. Yeah, it definitely is. And you know, I'm a big fan, and I promote for all of our clients to hire more green talent. I'm very passionate about finding folks that maybe don't have the background that a lot of people come looking for, but are going to be incredibly successful in the role. But you have to have a capacity to train and develop these people, and that's where a lot of companies fail. That that is the thing. That yes. is that is the separator. Is your your uh, it, it's your capacity to train and develop. Yep. I mean, that's literally the thing. It's it's your. Do people show up in your company and then get better, and get better along the, the lines that actually help you the company out, or do they just show up and then get burned out because yeah. nobody's helping out? And it's usually one of the two. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, and it's really sad to see because you know, like I we we have experiences all the time where somebody hires somebody who. I see a lot of potential in and I've, I've had situations where somebody goes to a company they don't they aren't successful you know and there's actually one person who pops in my head immediately who um, in his previous role did not book one meeting from cold calling not one in his current role all his meetings come from cold calling he's a top performer and he's like 2x the expectation the only difference training and development mm -hmm. you have to invest in these people and even at an early stage startup company you have to train and develop these folks and you sometimes need an external resource this is where we come into the come into play for some companies but even without uh, hiring somebody like us spending some time making sure that you're investing in your people is what it's going to take to have really strong results and the companies who do this well are the ones that succeed and the ones who do this terribly are typically the ones that burn out, at least in my experience. Oh, no. I, I mean, we, we've talked about this in the past where you can see examples of people joining. Uh, joining. I mean, this was my experience with the UN agency that I that I joined. This is a um, you know, dream job for me. Everything I'd studied for, I'd, I'd grown up around. And from day one, I could see there's, there's literally no program. There's no program. There's no training. There's no nothing. And you take basically people like me who came in with a ton of education, a ton of ability, right. but no real understanding of how to use it and then you know where there's a pretty obvious gap there right like i mean hey could you just work on this type little thing and you know yeah, yeah. just that by itself would have been very helpful but um and i'm all for owning your your thing and you know taking over projects and whatnot but yeah. for a first timer in a role you can't really rely on that as a company and it, it's uh people wonder like well i wonder why people show up with all this energy and then burn out in a couple of years well I mean, what results are you seeing back from this? You know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's so true because you have to experience growth as an employee to stay at a company. I mean, 
people will accept less pay for more opportunity to grow. Definitely. And that's a smart decision in my opinion. I, and I, I genuinely, genuinely believe that. Like pay comes second to growth in my opinion. Always, maybe once you're super high up in your career, pay matters a lot more, right? Like if you're a career CEO or something, then you care a lot more about pay. But if you're not a career CEO and working for at publicly traded companies, then your main focus should be how do I gain more skills? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to transition. No, no. um, I I think that 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 thing about that feedback loop that people have is is super important, and that's something Mm -hmm. I've actually taken from you. And I think that's one reason that, like, you know, my little team that I've I've been talking about was doing well. I've uh, I've stolen this little concept from you, consistently, basically creating that feedback loop, um, sometimes financially. But then, uh, I mean, that's definitely a thing. Uh, but what do you mean by that? Uh, Compensation-wise, like showing that there's there's uh, rewards for stuff that you know that you're doing oh, well. Like like oh, here's a little bonus. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's that. But the more important stuff that I I can literally think of times where you know people have lit up over yeah. is specific skills. Right. Um. And I think most places don't get. I, I I was burned by this early on, so I'm extra bitter about this little little example of it. But I remember I worked for one company where. Literally, all I asked was for a little bit of training around one little thing in the environmental space. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. One little bit of, to give me one angle of technical ability to be able to come in and do one kind of accounting, yeah. right? And um, and I got promised, no, don't worry, we'll do it next month and next month. And all I was doing in the meantime was just being basically, you know, a glorified, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, spreadsheet manager. <laughs> like I was just yeah. entering data for somebody and it was it was bananas to me. I was asking for, for you know, and I think that that's something where, that predatory nature. This is why this kind of stuff sort of really irks me when I see models like this aimed at the wrong people. The model right. isn't really the problem. It's the it's the application of who it's aimed at. Yeah, you're taking people who are who don't really know the difference. They've never been in the, in this career yet, and they're like, oh, if I take this course, then I'll be in the career. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's the difference, man. Yeah, like, yeah. If if you're telling me somebody who's mid mid career sales pro is going to take a course to then elevate them up elsewhere um, for that amount of money. Then by all means, you know. Yeah, and honestly, the company should pay for it. I mean, I I'm well, yeah. big on this too. Like, we'll pay for courses. If anybody <laughs> wants to take a course, they can just ask me, and I'll and I'll pay for it. Uh, almost with no limit. I can't I can't imagine how expensive some of these things. I guess get pricey, but um, yeah, I remember when I was an employee at a company, I had a new boss, and the company had a policy where if there was a certification, they would allow you they would reimburse you as long as you achieved the certification for whatever the cost of the program was up to like a thousand bucks a year or something. Really cool program. So I would, or I think it was maybe even a grand a quarter, but I was very passionate about this as you can imagine because I, sure. I like learning. So I, um, I went to go sign up for a course and I got like a new boss like in the middle of me signing up for this course and I told him, I'm like, um, Hey, I need your right, like the boss, your boss was supposed to sign off on it. It's like a little extra corporate. And this is a smaller company. I don't know why they did it like this. And I remember my boss was like, oh, I don't know if you should do this. Interesting. And it was, it was directly relevant to the job. Um, it was directly relevant to the job. So I, I was like, well, this is directly relevant to the job. It's going to make me better. Here are all the benefits. I was also like selling this guy. And this is like a company policy. So it just felt weird. Also, it was like $200. You know, so I'm not I'm not asking for thousands of dollars. So And he was like, oh, it's not the money. It's like what you're spending your time on, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm improving in an area that's going to make me a more effective person. Why are we even having this conversation? And you want to know how I eventually convinced him to do it? How's that? I said, I wish I could use the guy's name because I wanted to give you my exact quote. His name's <laughs> kind of funny, but um, <laughs> it would have made it a little bit more powerful. But I was like, look, this is a company policy that I'm trying to take an advantage, take advantage of. I will pay for this out of my own pocket or you can sign the piece of paper and allow me to take advantage of the company policy. And he's like, okay, well, I don't want you to pay out of your own pocket. And I said, thank you. And then I even told him I was going to do it on my own time. Like, he was just so crazy to me. And like, you know, I I was running a team. Our team was crushing. Like, there's literally no reason. It's just he wasn't as, he wasn't a a believer of that. And it was the first time I came across somebody who was like resistant to people around him trying to improve themselves. It was really crazy. I have run into this more often than I would like to admit. Where people who, who will block you from doing, from doing something to improve your job. 
or to, to improve your own performance at this job and probably make that person look better. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you improving exactly your right. skills would probably make your manager 100%. look better. Uh, but for some reason, I think it's an ego thing, man. I really it do. It has to be. I think there's some really twisted little thing in somebody's head that says, no, 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 no. I need so much control over you that I think I, I, I might have told you this, but there was a, there was one experience which I do not mind talking about at all. And I uh, I might, I, I'll, I'll use the guy's name actually here. Uh, so the, um, the I worked for a guy whose first name was Matar. And uh, yeah, can he uh, find him on LinkedIn? Now. Oh my God. If I, if I ever find that guy <laughs> um, and his, his answer to why I was not allowed to go to do field research where I was, I was supposed to basically, I was supposed to be working for refugee camps and most of the office work was in a nice fancy office. Right. Very disconnected. Very, very also like that little dichotomy by itself. Weird pressure. Yeah, it puts very on. weird. But uh, the reason that I was blocked eventually he turns around and goes, well, why do you want to go out there? Those are dirty people. And Jesus. it's a, it's a wacky dichotomy or like a, a cognitive dissonance. I'm sure there's some word for it where right. you're supposed to be doing this job, but then you have your, your, your manager, your boss kind of being like, well, ugh, no, I don't want to do well, it. It's horrible. It's ridiculous. And it, that was, that was uh yeah, that was the moment I knew I was going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't, um, I can't even imagine. I mean, it is, it, look, I feel like most people, especially if you're listening to something like this, like you're probably very, um, like you're, you probably like learning and your, your personal growth, personal development is something that's important to, to you. If you're listening to content like this or you're talking, you have a team, but I, I really do think it's important that as leaders, we push our teams, even if they're, if they're not proactively coming to us, we push our teams to get better. Like I just think of, you know, what we have going on now internally at Voris, you know, we have members of our team that are taking up more responsibilities they are very excited. They're trying new things. They're learning like super exciting time. There's a lot of personal growth. Well, in a month and a half from now, they're going to get a repeatable system. They're going to feel comfortable and they're going to fall into their own habits and routines. That's great. That means we've created an effective system that's re uh, repeatable. That's exciting. I actually, I can't wait for that day. That's going to come the next month or two. Now, when that happens, we have all these people who right now are in the building phase that are going to start getting into the like business as usual phase. And immediately in my head, I have to go, all right, what can I do to like, shake the water a little bit? Yep. Hey, I want you to go learn how to do this thing. Here's a course. You know, it's a thousand bucks. I want you to take it. I want you to implement the stuff here. And just giving people responsibilities that are outside of maybe their daily work. I actually think not only will you get more value as a business owner because people are doing more, but also it makes their other work better. Yes. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, I got my first job at a high tech burrito. I've always been in tech and it was a local, <laughs> it was a local burrito joint in uh, my hometown and I started as a prep cook and I won't get into the you know, my career path over at high tech burrito, but it was, you know, I was on quite the trajectory. Uh, but I remember when I first got the job, I was talking to one of my friend's mom and I was like, Oh yeah, I just got a job at high tech burrito. And she said to me like, you know what? Your grades are probably going to get better. <laughs> now to be fair, that did not happen <laughs> because I did not care about school at all. But her point was, as you gain some more responsibility, you start to like, get better in your life as a whole. And I truly believe that. I believe if your outside of work life is going well, your inside of work life is going uh, to uh, be rewarded for that. If you're suffering outside of work, I feel like that's going to carry over into your work life. So I, I, I like to see a good balance, um, you know, not even just like like work-life balance I don't care too much about. I care more about the balance of, of kind of the growth. Yeah. You know, it's not really a balance, but growth is more important to me than work-life balance um, because then I feel like I'm making progress. Well, it, it's that happiness loop. And going back to like when you have a a fee that you might feel a little bit resentful about paying for in, the, in the example of these long-term finance, you know, payment systems that lock you in forever, you're probably not feeling great with extra financial pressure on you. Right. Right. And that's going to feed into yeah, your work. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But I want to, I want to uh, actually riff on something that you just said about, um, about how you get the team to to uh to improve themselves and i think um there's there's a little bit about getting people to actually just do something first because i think a lot of people don't know what they don't know uh right. you know what i mean uh, i know the mic's like uh, it's got it's just moving on its own <laughs> no, it's kind of funny it's just sticker was driving oh, okay. me nuts <laughs> <laughs> and i couldn't wait for you to stop no talking. ocd over here guys yeah, uh, none. but um 
yeah so basically like i what i've done recently to try to get uh everybody into things a little bit more is just assign stuff and basically make it clear there's no judgment on a first draft i really i literally don't care what it's good what it looks like get it done mm, and I, then well, I just like that phrase no judgment on a first draft that should yeah. go for everything I, I i agree um should probably go for our own stuff too to be honest and sometimes <laughs> I'm a little too critical on our, ourselves but I, I think with in this role where i have some people who, who have never really done stuff before and are doing certain activities on the website or on social media or on you know some of our own marketing materials some of the creatives um who've never done a thing before right in this in this space um and then asking them to just do a first draft of it and you know the first reaction is oh yeah because you know it's uncomfortable <laughs> yeah, yeah but once they do it it's very clear to them immediately that you know a where they're actually surprisingly good, mm. where they're weak. Yep. And then they go, okay, now I've identified exactly the skill set I need to improve at this thing if I want to improve at this thing. Right. And it's um and the other benefit for for me is that <laughs> you'd be surprised how I mean I showed you this uh, I think the other day. Uh, one of the guys started uh, writing posts and his writing skills are way above what I thought they were. And just that is like a happy little surprise for me. Right. So this is like a win-win all around that I think anybody can implement with their teams. Instead of just kind of looking for the course first and saying, go do this in order to get, you know, do this, walk them through a week, a month, whatever it is of just letting them try it on their, on their own, yeah. learn a little bit by doing, and then they'll know exactly where they're, you know, why they should be improving X subset within a, within a skill. Well, I think part of the problem that people run into here is that they um, they feel an intense amount of pressure to make progress because a lot of you know startup companies are venture backed and they hire a team of salespeople let's say and that sales team hasn't been producing so they start getting increasingly more concerned and then they throw training and development out the window and they start moving towards like what I call spreadsheet management where they're just looking at the numbers and. and and they're just like, well, what levers can I pull? And it's so funny that I say this because like, this is literally what I tell people to do, <laughs> not to be <laughs> spreadsheet managers, but I'm like, look at the data and then let the data dictate your decision-making. But well, the lazy form of this is you look at the data and you're like, okay, let's just three X everybody's calls and hope that we book more meetings or, you know, let's um, have our sales reps do more activity and then we're just going to get more results. It doesn't always work. It's not linear like that, right? There's always diminishing returns, et cetera, et cetera. But my, my key point here is, you want to av you 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 want to avoid letting that pressure cause you to put pressure on other people, and then you get away from like, hey, you need to learn, you need to practice, you need to improve, and you start focusing more on people's results. Then you start firing people. Then you go to the board. You're like, oh, the people I hired weren't right. You know, I hired the wrong people, and it's kind of funny because a few of like that's going to happen. But that keeps happening. At a certain point, the board goes, you're the leader here, pal. Yep. You're hiring the wrong people. Maybe you're the wrong person. And now you get into a bigger problem. But I'm curious what your thoughts are, are on how do you how do you manage the pressure, pressure to see results with also having to train and develop a team? How do you think about that? So that's, that's a good question. I think um, it's an ever everlasting cycle of trying to improve your documentation and your system, sorry, your, your, the tools that you're giving people and, um, versus working on, you know, on the other side of that, working on the human being, working right. on, you know, developing their, their own ability, their skill sets, their confidence, dealing with whatever's happening in their lives at the time. I think those are, those are all things, but I think that one thing, one good example of this is, um, I've seen some of, uh, Will Allred's, uh, posts on LinkedIn this week from lavender from lavender. Yeah. Um, first of all, great follow on, uh, on everything on, uh, his email, his personal email list, his, uh, the lavender list, and then also, uh, on social media. On and LinkedIn. just in case somebody doesn't know, lavender is a tool that's a Chrome extension. I kind of think of it as grammarly for writing sales emails. Yes. So it helps. It'll give you like feedback on how you should change your email based on best practices. It's a really cool tool. It is. It's great. Um, and, the uh, so uh, just to, to to go back, one thing that he was making a point of, and I totally agree with this. I think this is actually a, a Voris thing too. The um, the idea of giving out templates to people is great, but mm -hmm. a lot of people just they they think that coaching means here's a template, here's another template, here's twenty templates, yeah. and just because you're handing people a lot of tools doesn't mean you're actually helping them develop. Yep. Um, whereas if you hand somebody a bunch of tools and say, look, these are these are 
these are literally, you know, um, let's say different weapons in your arsenal or something like that. Right. Yeah. And we now have to think about how to get you to feel comfortable making new ones or, mm-hmm. or combining them or thinking about, you know, the, 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 the deeper stuff that about why, for example, in our cases, why something would sell or like why something is a good communication tool. And I think that's where, where people, a lot of leaders, a lot of managers get very lazy with how they, they try to train people. They just give them stuff and they don't really sit with them and make sure that they're really thinking through, you know, how is this going to make me better? How am I going to use this thing to improve myself? Um, I think that's a, that's a major issue. How, how do you tell? How do you tell? That's a good one. Um, I think if you see somebody start to stagnate, I think really anybody stagnates on a team. In a lot of cases, it's going to be the leader's fault. Um, I think that there there is there are exceptions to that rule, but if somebody I'm thinking about my team, you know, specifically right now, and I'm being very protective, you know, over 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 these these guys right right now, if one of them starts to slip or starts to you know I don't know disappear from from stuff uh, from from meetings or the work starts to dip. Um, and I am not on top of it quickly. Um, think that, I think that's, that's really the, the key of, of somebody, me, you know, missing the boat here. Right. Well, yeah, it's important to be able to give, um, give clear feedback if you have somebody who's not performing up to the standard that you set, but also that they set for themselves. And that's a, that's a part of this that I think is important for everybody to take away is if you're always setting the standard for your team, that's not a that's not a good place to be like you want your team setting the standard for themselves that's a great that's a great great way to frame it and the maybe maybe one marker that that if we're looking for something measurable Mm -hmm. is how often is your team bringing ideas of their own to the table yeah i love that that's really good that's really good and hopefully it's very often (laughs) hopefully it's every week yeah I i think that's something that i've tried to bake into some of my own meetings now where it's just like you know we sort of offer a cursory stuff like, Hey, what's up everybody? How's, how's it going? What right. are you guys working on? And so that, that's a cursory thing. But, um, I think having a, a place baked in where, um, you can sort of say like, okay, um, so I, exp- what's the new idea of the week? You know, something like that, where you, um, I, the top performers who I've worked with for, and, you know, and, and I've managed have always kind of, come to the table knowing that they're going to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and sort of see what see, yeah. see what sticks. Um, but we'll know that a lot of the ideas are going to get rejected, but with enthusiasm, come up and be like, Hey, what about this? What about this? And that enthusiasm marker, as long as you know that somebody is constantly consistently coming to the table with new ideas mm-hmm. and seeing some of them get rejected and totally fine with that. That's, that's the sign of, of basically a healthy environment. <laughs> Whoops. A healthy environment of uh, <laughs> scared me. I thought a camera dropped or something. I thought Leo had walked in the room and dropped a camera. <laughs> I So I totally agree. Like, yeah, it is a healthy environment. And I also think for ourselves, like, I think we do an okay job at this. Um, at least I, I would say I give a lot of ownership to the team. But I like what you're saying about um, getting getting ideas from the team. So what we do, uh, at least in our executive sinks, is every single week we say this is our objective for the week. And we hold each other accountable to getting this one thing done whatever that thing might be. I wonder if there's another element of this too, where it's like, as a team, we are going to work together to get this one thing done. So we all have our individuals, right? Um, And then we go, hey, we want to, I'm just going to make stuff up. We want a new uh, page on our website. Which I this actually might be a real thing. <laughs> I've been talking to you about this. signals being set, guys. Very, very clear signals. Uh, so we want this new page, but a lot of things go into getting a page done. You need graphic work. You need copy. You need the technical implementation. Uh, that's probably the three. <laughs> and when we have a larger scale project, it's like kind of crazy to say, "Hey, Dan, create a whole page this week." Versus saying like, hey, let's page it. Maybe it's like a more simple version, but there's more complicated stuff. Um, but instead of saying like, hey, get this one page done this week, what it can be is saying like, all right, Dan, write the copy for this page. I'm going to do the graphics for the page if, if I'm a Rex. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing any graphics. And then, um, and then, you know, Leo is going to do the technical implementation of the page, which means it'll never get up onto the website. Um, but if you split up one. <laughs> 
if you split up one larger project into multiple smaller projects and you work on those as a team, that could be a good thing. Yes. And I, I think as specifically, if you're, if you're looking at the manager level sort of side of this, how much is the team doing on their own? You know, it looks right. like one of the things that, you know, we just had somebody, somebody recently join our team. And one of the, the cool things is basically watching her uh, increasingly interact with, with some of the other folks on the team. That's mm. been a this week thing. This is yeah, like gonna, just started. This and this is, this is a sign to me of like, if I'm delegating everything and organizing everything within marketing, for example, yeah. then we've got a problem. Yeah. It just that a, it's going to be super slow. B the quality is probably going to suffer because I'm pulled apart too many places mm-hmm. and then C it just kind of sucks when, when you're, you know, one of the people actually working on the project to just constantly be told what to do, what to do, what to do. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's no fun. Whereas if you have true ownership over something, you're going to care enough to be like, you know, yeah. okay, I'm going to do cool work, but also like, Hey Kyle, let me get this thing. And then, you know, you kind of manage your own corner of the thing yeah. of the little sub project that you have going on. And then it becomes the quality goes way up. The creativity goes way up. Yep. Um, there's a little bit of extra social pressure too. So that there's more accountability and yeah. you know, all that stuff. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's also a big adjustment for most people to go through. We're not really, a lot of people aren't naturally, um, I don't know you're wired to, to, to work this way. Yeah, maybe not. They're, they're, they almost feel like you're, oh, you give me a task and I do the task. And when you give somebody true ownership of what they do and their work, amazing thing happens. Like I immediately think of Declan on our team because uh, I, I feel like the con- the counter to this is like, oh, somebody young in their career, it's like how much ownership can you give them? Said, a lot. A lot, and like Declan is not young in his career. Like he, you know, he's worked in finance for a while. He's in sales operations, but what he's doing for us is very—he's very new to. And just today, I was talking to him, and I was like, "Hey, do you have the meeting set up for that one client? Because I didn't see it on my calendar, you know, because I'm so used to everything being in my calendar." He goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, those are on Tuesdays at whatever." And I'm like, "Wow, this guy is just doing everything, and I don't have to tell him to do stuff." Like that is a very, very special moment. And this is a guy who's doing something that's way, that uh, at least a month and a half ago was way out of his comfort zone. I mean, I, I so I, <laughs> I've told him this directly. I've told you this, but so Declan's been awesome to work with at every level, but also I, I think about Rex and Duels and Samara and uh, Jovi. I, I think of basically most of our, our, our team who, everybody who I've interacted with in the last couple of weeks has in some way stepped up and basically said, shown me at some level not that they haven't stated this directly but they've said something that makes it clear that they care as much as i do about a project Mm. that's a huge deal yeah that's very rare right and i think that that's something where you have to cultivate it you have to be very protective over it It, maybe maybe here's a good example an analogy for for uh an example's sake when you were in school and you had to do a group project right um, and the teacher goes into science, like, I don't know. I remember we had this one thing where we, uh, I think in like fifth grade, we had to go design, I think Jurassic Park came out in fifth grade for me or something. And, and we had to go design out like a dinosaur park right, and right. We, we had to draw this thing out. And I remember, um, as with most group projects in school, one or two kids sort of end up kind of either dominating it or a couple of kids disappear from it. Don't do any work whatsoever. So all the work falls on, you know, a couple yeah. and then the whole thing it's kind of like it's a bad experience for everybody. Right, right. Everybody feels resentful over over stuff. The teacher is like, wait, what? And I think that's where kind of the uh, managers kind of come in to the process is you've got to be there to make sure that the project actually gets set up the right way, then take a step back. And I think that's that's what most of us are, are geared for the the other version of that where it's like the the group uh the school version where it's like it's been assigned yeah okay i'll do whatever the bare minimum is and then depending on my my fear of the teacher's wrath uh you know maybe i'll i'll do more or do less it's um it's not the best right right yeah i totally I feel um, like i lost you on that uh that example no you didn't lose me i was just um i was <laughs> looking at the audio levels and i feel like you might be peaking oh do you know what that means? No. Too loud? I'm, I'm a technical genius, and I know what peaking means. I see you showing off again. Yes. Um, yeah, I think you might be too loud. But that's okay. We're going to figure it out in post. <laughs> I got excited. What to do? Um, and, well, I think it might be actually just like a chronic issue that's plaguing the entire podcast. My excitement is a chronic issue. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I lo- Yeah, I, t- t- I totally agree, and your example was good. I thought it was a good example. Um, in, ad- <laughs> in addition to this, I want to talk about a, a certain – like a something I see commonly written about online 
which is the idea of like your employees will never care as much about the company as as you the owner or the founder and there's definitely truth to that but i don't think it's as far off i i feel like it's a it's a lazy it's a, a lazy argument to say like you shouldn't expect your people to do their best work can i offer a, an adjustment to that okay. to that statement yes, yeah it probably will make it better <laughs> i think that your employees should never worry as much about the business as you the owner very good point but everybody should care that's a really really good point you know yeah and that's how i feel like i feel with the people who work here i feel like we all care the same amount and that's actually you're that's very wise what you just said wow dude you're so much older than i thought you were dude. don't make me feel it man. Stuff. Um, <sighs> you're getting gray as we speak uh no no that's true because i i don't think anybody worries as much as i do but i definitely think everybody cares and they care deeply and i can see it through their actions and i think just say, saying this blanket like your employees will never care as much as the founders it's just kind of lazy it's mm-hmm. basically you just saying the relationship between the employee and the employer i think is an important one and because a lot of times that relationship is most displayed through really large enterprise organizations where it does feel like you know kind of the us and the them you know us and them or what what did what's that guy who does the others what is it the communist guy who's the guy uh Milton Friedman? No, that's the that's the <laughs> that's the economist. That's guy. the economist guy. Um, who's the guy who wrote the Communist Manifesto? Um, uh, uh, Marx. Marx. Yes, Karl yeah. Marx. Yeah. Um, which a, a name like Marx, you have to become a communist, right? I, I can't wait to see where you take this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is another example of me not knowing where this is going. Okay. But you know how he has the others. Have you read? Have you read this piece? Back in the day. Okay, so there's this. By the way, I very well could be totally wrong about this. But <laughs> let's run I with should, it. Let's let maybe it. I should look it up. But um, he has this idea of the others. Okay. Okay. And I, I feel like. Five stages of society, dude. We, should I feel am some I space? Just, am I just wrong? Um, I might just be wrong. What is this concept? There's this concept of like, there's the employers and then there's everybody else, right? And it's almost like an, an us versus them type of mentality. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, that's what I'm referring to. And um, basically, here's the problem. is You look at these really large organizations like Amazon where they're like, they don't even have managers. You walk in and you have like a cell phone. That's your, that's your manager. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. It's like what happens when you just let a psychopath over-optimize everything. And they deserve to be the biggest company in the world because sure. that's next level. For sure. Yeah, I read this article and these employees they were interviewing were like, yeah, we walked in there. There were just some, there were, there were iPhones on the table. <laughs> we were told each to grab one and it just told us what to do <laughs> which is insane to me oh, but anyway so <laughs> they should be the biggest company in the world but anyway you hear stories like that and that's what you that's how you think of all, all business right you're like oh there's the employer and they don't really care about their employees they just need their employees to do a job and i just feel like that's super lazy because most employers that i know business owners even with larger businesses than us <laughs> I kind of said that as if like we were huge or something. <laughs> Even with larger businesses than us. Like most businesses are larger than us. <laughs> Dude, don't break the illusion. Yeah, don't break <laughs> We're massive. Um, <laughs> you know, companies larger than us like Amazon. <laughs> anyway, so my point is uh, most of the entrepreneurs I talk to care deeply about their employees. And I... And I, I I don't know who I was talking to this about, but like everyone we hire here, I feel indebted to. I feel like I have to work super hard because I have these people here who are relying on this organization to put food on their table. And I want the best for everybody. And I would like that best to happen here. 
And every other entrepreneur I talk to is in the same way. Now, I don't talk to Jeff Bezos, you know. <laughs> he's he's using iPhones to replace this. I'm, I'm talking to other business owners who run organizations that are really successful. They have 50, 100 employees. They care deeply about their employees. They want their employees to do a lot better. And maybe at a certain size, you start caring less. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. But um, I just feel like it's a really lazy argument to just say, oh, they're not going to care as much as me. So why do you think that happens? Why do you think that, because I think it happens with the majority of people. I see it sometimes because of an age gap or you know, there's all kinds of, it's not, that's happens? not, so, so why we go from most people claiming this, I care about my employees. I, you know, I, I want to create this, this healthy environment where everybody's happy and healthy and, and doing some amazing work and everybody's successful. And then you go from that, that want, right into a situation for most companies where that's far from reality. Why do you think that happens? Because I agree with you. Most people start businesses with that in mind. I think they, they have good intentions for how they want to treat people. But then, you know, six months later, two years later, uh, that's not really the case anymore where it's like a lot of stress and people are just kind of doing stuff and talking, you know, and the relationships break down. Why do you think that happens? Probably, you mean, you probably said it, the stress, you start getting like really panicky. Whenever you put like stress on a system, things start to break down. And once you start getting less, like more removed from the people, so like you have your team, um, I the, that team still interacts with me. They still know who mm -hmm. I am. I still interface with them. I can Slack, message them on Slack. They've had interaction with me. They have an opinion of me that's based on, for the most part, reality because they've interacted with me before. They know who I am as a person. Well, what happens when your team has a team? Mm -hmm. Then now all of a sudden I'm removed. And then I put a bunch of stress on you. You put a bunch of stress on them. You know what it is? Leadership's the answer. Mm -hmm. Because if the leaders don't embody that same characteristic of wanting to push their team to grow, do their best work, and then do their best work here specifically, then of course that's going to break down. That's a very good point. Of course it's going to break down. And then eventually you have iPhones that are responsible for managing a group of people. Like You realize how crazy that is? It's hilarious to think about because <laughs> the fact that your manager is an iPhone is silly. And what I'm not embellishing. I read this article and they were saying they only talked to their iPhone and the iPhone would be like, Bzz, come back to work. Bzz, you can go on a break now. But that's insane to me because people make magic happen. And maybe for Amazon, the magic has already taken place. That's True. definitely possible. Yeah. And now we're in like this optimization phase where we have turnover. We had done the math. We know this amount of people are going to come in. They're going to like their robot boss or they're not going to like their robot boss and they're going to move on to the next thing fine you know i think they even pay people to leave after a couple of years because they're like oh the diminishing returns of an employee after year three i yeah okay maybe that's real at that at that stage and maybe that goes for every company at that stage because you just get so far removed it's almost impossible to keep up um i would like to think that's not going to always be the case but let's say that, that let's just say for this argument it is i it i think we should try our best to cherish the team because I think that's where all the magic happens is with people interacting with other people and it's not to you know not to clown on robot managers but bad managers are probably worse than robot ones yep and there's I, a lot of bad totally managers. agree totally agree um hey Matar. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I uh I think uh I think the the interesting thing to this is is the idea of building culture where kind of scalable culture, is that a thing? And I, I agree, it can't always happen with everybody and not everybody's gonna be best friends with each other all the time, all that right. stuff, I get that. But we're doing a couple of things recently here that I think uh, is worth sharing if, if anybody's interested in trying out to implement similar things. We just started um, internal masterminds, not just with Forest, but our wider community too. And I think that's that's gonna be an interesting project to sort of follow and track and see how amped up, you know, um, we can get people to sort of, or have bought in, I should say more than amped up, have bought in, you know, you create a peer to peer relationship with mm -hmm. that's a little bit structured, a little bit managed, a little bit led. You have uh, department by department relationships, again, that's led and structured. 
And you also have, um, you know, individual one-on-one stuff where we're doing, you know, things outside of departments and, uh, maybe that's on an executive level. Maybe it's, it's not, but we're basically, we're trying to, we're trying to, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the attempt is to create different levels and different directionalities of relationship building. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's something that is a lot of people talk about, but not a lot of companies that I know really try to do this, um, you know, they'll do something like start a book club and then people don't sort of follow through with it. And right, right. It's not really the same thing. Um, it, it really takes people who are going to manage those structured group projects, let's say, in a way that is, you know, th- that is led from the top, I think, um, with energy, with, you know, clear outcomes. I mean, th- that's also something we've been talking about recently is like being very outcome oriented yeah. everywhere. And I think that's also something that helps out is that if we all are very clear on what the outcomes are as a group by ourselves as you know individuals as you know it's it's um that's another good way to sort of keep everybody aligned in a way to make sure that we're we're working on the right kind of things together and the right kind of energy yeah i totally agree i totally agree i think being outcome oriented is really important and this is probably a good place to end because i think if at the end of the day whatever team you run whatever type of team having clear outcomes for that team but also being the leader that can push those people to do things that are extraordinary and how do you keep that consistent consistently as though as long as the, the employee is at the organization that's where things get difficult i think being outcome oriented is a big way to do that anyway dan thanks so much for the conversation beautiful conversation kyle as always see you next week bye